Maybe as we begin, we're going to read in a few moments now from Matthew's Gospel. Now, I was speaking from Matthew's Gospel, I think, at the family service a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to revisit that passage this morning. It's Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. But just before we, we actually read that, there's a slide at just there about Christmas jumpers. And the thing, some people may sort of like wearing Christmas jumpers and doing that sort of thing, but Christmas jumpers are, in many ways, are, are like sort of, should you say, the more outlandish clothes of, in general. And if you're going to wear things like that, you need a certain amount of self-confidence to get away with it. It's, it's like wearing a bow tie. That's, uh, bow ties are, are really good, and you'll maybe see more of that. Uh, but people who wear those things probably have got past that point where they're really worried, what do other people think? Because it's what other people think about me. If you're maybe thinking about that just now, it's that anxiety that stops you doing so many things because you spend a lot of your time thinking, how will other people think of me? How will other people perceive what I say or, or do here? And some ways, actually, being bound by what other people think can be the biggest prison that any of us allow ourselves to be trapped in. So when we ask things like of ourselves, I mean, do you like the car that I drive? Do you like the clothes I wear? Do you like my hairstyle? Do you think I'm funny enough to be part of your gang or your group? Do you like the Instagram picture that I have just posted up? Do you like the Facebook update that I've just done? And we can be bound by what other people think. And then it's maybe in that sort of context that we come to think about Joseph this morning. So if you have your, your, your Bible, to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, and in this passage, where I think we find Joseph is that he's in a dilemma and he's caught between enthusiastically following God, making God the priority of his life, doing what God wants him to do, and just running ahead and doing that. But on the other hand, being concerned by what other people may think of his actions. So he's caught between doing what keeps people happy and doing what keeps God happy. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, 
An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. So as we turn to this passage, what we, we see here is that, uh, and you've missed this, you've missed a lot about the, the Christmas story, but Mary and Joseph are pledged in marriage to one another. Going back to this era in history, the engagement time was a lot more significant than what we find in our culture today. Uh, many ways today we sort of take the pragmatic view is that it is best to break off an engagement even a couple of days before you actually get married because it's better than doing that then rather than waking up a couple of years later and realizing you should never have married that person. But back in Joseph and Mary's time, the engagement itself was part of the binding marriage arrangement. So much so that the only way that you could get out of an engagement was if you actually went and asked for a divorce or if one of the two of you died. And it was such a significant and strong binding arrangement that if one of the two of you died, you were at that point, even before you actually were married, you were only engaged at this point, you were still considered to be a widow or a widower. And so it's with that in mind that we turn to verse 18, which is just setting the context. This, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now again, we imagine how the news of that was shared with Joseph. And as Joseph would have allowed that shocking news maybe just to filter into his head as he listens to what Mary is sharing with him. Mary saying, you know, Joseph, I have something to tell you, but you don't need to worry about it because actually God has done all of this. And Joseph is probably thinking one of two things about Mary at this point. Either this woman is crazy or this woman is a liar. And actually, I don't want to be married to a crazy woman. Nobody does. And I don't want to be married to a woman who's going to lie to me. So he's sort of caught. And then we read on into verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So what Joseph is doing is that he is thinking, let's take the easy way out of this. He's, he's an honourable, decent guy. He, he, he doesn't want to do what he rightfully could do, 
which is saying that it's all this woman and I want nothing to do with her and it's all on her, but he wants to be a lot more circumspect about it. He wants to do this as quietly and as decently as is possible. So we read on into verse 20 and 21. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. At this moment, you can imagine as Joseph wakes up that he really is caught between two uh, extremes. The pendulum of of his emotions and his thinking are are swinging vastly from one side to the other. On the one hand, he has heard all the stories which have been coming down uh, for centuries amongst his people, the, the Jewish people, that they are longing for this new Messiah, this Messiah who will redeem and rescue his people. And Joseph wakes up with this idea that he has some part in this huge story and this and that sounds exciting. And then the pendulum swings to the other side, which is the real realism, the realistic side, which says, where he's speaking to himself and says, now, but what will everybody think of me? What will they think if I take Mary home as my wife, because I'm realizing that people will be talking about us. People will be talking about us behind our backs. They will be pointing the finger at us. So that's the pendulum of emotions. And sometimes I think for us as people of God, we need to realize that That's exactly the same for us in so many situations because we will waver between these two things. If we genuinely believe that God is uh, the, the, the prime focal point of our lives and we do want to put God first, we want God to be significant in our lives and that when God speaks to us about something and we believe what God has said to us and we believe passionately about that, that we should do whatever it is that God is laying upon our hearts. But sometimes then we do wonder, but what will other people think? Because we do want the approval of other people. And very quickly, I think the lesson that Joseph has been learning is that when you obsess so much about other people and what they think, you will then not worry so much about what God thinks about your life. So if today you are concerned about fitting in, wherever that is, what other people think about you, or do you measure up, even when you speak, when you do something, when you reveal what's really important to your life, if you are really thinking all that time, what do these people think about me, and I have to say, if it's true for grumpy old men like me, and that even when I do something, speak something, stand up at the front, say things, you are always wondering, what will people think of what I say? So even when you're preparing to say something, you are immediately thinking, 
what will these people think about this? If you're thinking about how your friends will react to anything that you've done or said, if you think about that so much that you're afraid to step out from that bubble or that little circle of friendship, when you realize, and so often we don't even realize that we're under this pressure, it's just part of what we do. But when you surrender some aspect of your life, that life that should be, first of all, given to God, when you surrender that to the opinions of other people, you've gone too far and you've stepped out of that, stepped out of the place where God wants you to be. And my thought today is how do we actually overcome being obsessed with what other people think of us? A moment ago, I was saying something along the lines of, if we are so obsessed with what other people think, and that's the most important thing for us, then automatically what God thinks of us will be secondary. But thankfully, the flip side of that is also true. That if you really passionately believe that the most important thing in your life is God and that what God thinks of what you do, your actions, your priorities, your motivations, if you are primarily concerned about that, then you will naturally be less concerned about what other people think about you. Now, the bottom line is you really can't please everyone. If you try to do it, you'll soon realize that you fall far short. If you wear your hair a certain way so that you think that other people like this, immediately some people will say, no, I don't like that. If you wear certain clothes to fit in with certain people, immediately others will say, no, that makes you look fat. The bottom line is, no matter how hard you try, you will never please everyone. But the good news is that we can please God. You can live your life in such a way so that God can say, you are a good and faithful servant. You have been faithful to me. You have honored me. And with that, I'm happy. Now, I could immediately go on from this point and talk in terms of application now about how people who are not Christian and are not concerned from a spiritual point of view what you do so that you would maybe think about how you fit in with people who don't know and love Jesus and that could be the priority of your life. But actually, even within the church, even with people who think in the same sort of parameters as we naturally think, so that God is a priority in our lives and in the life of our church. Actually, even within this church of people who think the same sorts of things as we think, we can still be afraid of stepping out and doing what God wants us to do because we're afraid of how they think of us. And that somehow we have not ticked that stroke in that letter. We have not dotted that I 
and we're afraid of what other people actually think of us. So actually that point that's up on the screen just now, it's a reminder that pleasing God will mean disappointing people. And if you are not ready to disappoint other people, you are not ready to be used by God. Thinking about Mary and Joseph here in this situation, they recognized they would be publicly disgraced again and again. People would be whispering about them, talking about them behind their backs. And for you then, as you begin to play this out in your life, if you are not ready to follow God to the extent that you are not caring what other people think, you are not ready to be used by God. So I don't know how it's going to play out in your life. If God is asking you to do something which other people may find unpopular, whether you say or do something, if you're going to say, I'm I'm going to move or do something in a very significant way, and I'm going to do that irrespective of what other people think, even to go in a completely different direction with your life, because you genuinely believe that God is laying something on your heart and that I have to do this, I have to offer myself to God, I have to go there, I have to do this. And even when other people say, you're crazy, you're mad to be doing that, why would you give that job up? Why would you give that career up? Why would you do that? Even Christian people will say that to you. But if you genuinely believe that this is what God has laid upon your heart, but if you're not prepared to do that, then you're not ready to be used by God. So obeying God may mean disappointing people, making them ask questions why you did that. But the second point that comes up on the screen is that, and it's a a reassuring point, is that the extraordinary acts of God, the big work that God does, it begins with, at times, by something very ordinary. Not a big thing necessarily. In this story, it's just when Joseph says, yes, I'll do that. But I do notice that he didn't get many details. All he was told by the angels here is there's going to be a boy and you're going to give him this name. There's none of the other details about how it's going to play out in their lives, the difficulties that they're going to face and how God is going to step into those situations and how God is going to make it good and he's going to make it easy and he's going to make it soft and he's going to make his, his mind clear and you're going to do this at this point and then five years later you're going to do this because it's going to become so so apparent because I'm telling you now. In this situation, God gave them no details. But he just said, you're going to do this. And let's see where it goes from there. And so when it comes to obeying God, God can do the amazing, the wonderful things. But it begins possibly with something very ordinary and very simple, just saying yes to God. So going back to Joseph, he's a choice to make. Does Joseph do what pleases other people? Or does Joseph do what pleases God? And as I said, becoming obsessed with what other people think about your actions is that you're never going to be pleasing God. 
And in one little verse, we see the response that Joseph made. And as I read this verse, and I'm going to draw it to your attention just now, may this verse typify also your life, where you say, this is going to be the priority in my life. I mean, like I was, I was saying in the kids' talk earlier, so often we, we say that God is a priority of our lives. And we believe that, but somehow it just slips and, it's, and it doesn't become the real significant priority that it should. But I want you to look at verse 24 because this verse just describes that simple, ordinary, one step, as it were, a response that Joseph made. Verse 24, it says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. See, friends, you may have no idea where your life is going to go or what's going to happen, but just one simple act of obedience sets it in motion. So when God speaks a word to you. And you may, like Joseph, wrestle with that word and you may be anxious about it because you're listening to the other side, the other part of your brain, the rational part of that, the bit that makes sense to you. But actually, that verse 24 is a one-sentence reminder of a life-altering destiny where it says that Joseph did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. And you know, you have no idea where your life will go if you just resolve to follow Jesus, to obey Jesus today. Let's pray. Our Father, as we reflect today upon Joseph, may you burn your word into our hearts. Challenge us, Lord. May we never be complacent. May we not just slide into another year. But Lord, may we be attentive. May we be focused on you, so that in all of our thinking and deliberating and all of our actions, may we not just imagine that Jesus is significant, even half believing it ourselves, but Lord, showing it that Jesus is number one in my life and I will obey him. Amen.